The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coach's Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Crado, and today I've got a coach up in the northeast, the country up in Ohio. Um, so please welcome Coach Fishpaw. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, thanks, Joel. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. I've listened to a few of them so far, and uh, this is great what you're doing for the game of baseball. So, um, yeah, um, this is my eighth year as the um, head coach at Lincoln View High School. We're a small school, Division Four in Northwest Ohio. Um, graduate about sixty-five kids per grade, so that means we got about ninety boys in the high school. Um, you know, I started coaching uh, kind of right out of high school. I coached um, our summer team, our summer high school team up here, which is called Acme Baseball at Ayersville High School. Um, you know, I was 19 years old and, and really just loved it from there. I always knew that I wanted to be a PE teacher and a baseball coach and, uh, you know, got my start kind of just right out of high school after I finished my spring season and uh, just really enjoyed it. Um, from there, you know, went to Bowling Green State University for, for academics and, um, you know, in the summers between, we'd come back and coach Acme again at Ayersville. And then I got my first teaching job at Defiance High School. Um, Defiance is a baseball powerhouse in the country of, and, uh, uh, you know, they've had a couple major leaguers and, and several, several, um, you know, D1 and D2 um, college baseball players and got to coach uh, freshman baseball there for two years and learn under, you know, the great uh, coach Tom Held there and uh, also Rick Weaver, his his assistant. So, and then, um, you know, after two years there, got a job at Lincoln View teaching phys ed and being the assistant AD and um, interviewed for the baseball head coaching position when I was 23 and, and got the job. And, and here we are a couple years later. Wow, fascinating, especially at the age of 23. That's incredible. So my next question for you is just a question. I've heard all sorts of stories. I've heard all sorts of answers. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. But what's the wildest, craziest thing that you've witnessed firsthand on a ball field? The wildest, craziest thing I've witnessed on a ball field was we had twin brothers and uh, pitching and catching uh, with a little sibling next to me on the bench. Um, we were on defense, and a ball was hit to the left center gap. Um, and as the uh, runner on second rounded third, full head of steam towards home, uh, plowed our catcher when the ball was still you know, 315 yards away or feet away, excuse me, on the warning track. And, um, you know, having to manage that situation of a twin brother, a twin catcher, you know, torn ACL brother on the bench and uh, trying to, you know, keep everybody's temperament down and, and keep the situation um, calm, you know, given the circumstances was probably the wildest thing I've seen. You know, catcher, or sorry, the, the base runner was ejected and, and the fans of the opposing team uh, were pretty fired up for the rest of the game. So that was probably the wildest thing I've seen on a baseball field. Wow. Uh, so what is the best performance you've seen on a ball field firsthand? Best performance, I would have to say, would had, came from this past spring. Um, you know, our team went all the way to the state championship game um, down in Akron, uh, home of the Rubber Ducks. And our starting pitcher in the state semifinal game um, went complete game, uh, 14 Ks, and he actually struck out the first nine batters that he faced. So 
one through nine, first time up in the batting order for that he saw, he he sat them all down uh, via the strikeout. So that was probably one of the most dominant performances I've seen on a baseball field uh, in my time coaching. Wow, that's uh, that is incredible. Um, so let's kind of start transitioning, and we're going to kind of get into some leadership stuff. Um, and I asked this question earlier today on Twitter, and everyone's answer I think would be different because everyone views this answer differently. Everyone um, has a different opinion on what it is. And it's, how do you coach fish, Paul? How would you define success in your program? I would define success in our program as as leadership from from our players. Um, you know, a a player um, a player team that has that has great leadership and development is going to take us further than a coach's team leadership. And uh, we've been fortunate to have that. We've had great leaders that have stepped up. And, uh, you know, we're take almost the guided facilitation role uh, with, when we have good leadership like that. And, and that's awesome to see. And I think that's what's taken us the furthest um, and had the most success in our programs. Now, do we have that every year? We do not. Um, we tried to, to build it and, and have kids roll over to kids in the, in the younger grades and, and try to keep it going. Um, but I would say, yeah, player leadership has been the, the most successful part of our program. Now, discipline is, is a fun word. There's, there's a quote that I saw one time where it says, you either be disciplined or get disciplined. And I'm curious on how you per- personally, as a head coach, install discipline with your players for the culture of your program inside of your program. Yeah, discipline's important. You know, you, we want to coach great kids and, and you know, be, have them prepared for the real world after they graduate high school. So, you know, if practice starts at 10 o'clock a.m. on a Saturday morning, you know, you better be ready by 945 because we're, we're going to roll. So, you know, if you're late, you know, there's consequences. There's different things we have within our program. You know, if you're, again, too, uh, bus, uh, especially on away games, we're, we're rolling out at 320. But, uh, school gets out at 308. So, I mean, if you're not there at 320, <laughs> Bus is rolling out, and, you know, you, you would learn one way or another. But, um, yeah, having kids, accountability is huge. And, um, you know, setting standards, letting the kids know what those standards are, um, constantly kind of reminding them, you know, not just at the beginning in your preseason meeting, but reminding them throughout the season and, and just keeping the standard high. Now, you talked about being able to be an assistant coach with some great head coaches early in your career. What are some of the lessons you learned from those guys as a young coach trying to find his way inside the game? I would say that you're only as strong as your weakest link, if you will. If you will, um, you know the guy, the guy that's number 22 on the roster is just important as guy number one. Um, it, it really is when you're practicing. If you're doing different activities, um, you guys all got to be cohesive and, and you have to coach everyone uh, the same. You can't just coach your best players. Um, I witnessed um, at Defiance doing hall laps. I think, I don't remember how many it was, maybe two and two hall laps in 45 seconds. And it didn't matter if, um, you know, your first eight guys got it and your last 12 didn't. Every, every all 20 guys had to get make the time. Uh, so I saw guys physically carrying people. I saw guys physically you know, have hands on back guiding, you know, you know, kids that were maybe of, um, you know, less athleticism. Um, so I would say you're, you're only as strong as, as your weakest link for say within your team setting. So right now it's the off season for basically every program in the country, considering it's winter. And I'm curious as to what your guys' off season program looks like to help develop your players. So our off-season program, we started November 1st, 
And uh, we went three days a week for the, the month of November doing different arm care exercises. Um, basically just to kind of ramp up for our throwing progression that, that is eight weeks long that leads right up to our, the start of our season. So we did uh, different arm care exercises for the month of November. Um, we also hit, we also lift during that time. Um, just right after school for an hour, you know, we're not having two hour, three hour, two and a half hour, anything like that after school in the off season. We're doing an hour, we're getting our work in, we're getting out. Um, then starting December 1st, uh, we started our eight week throwing program. Um, it kind of takes away some of the driveline stuff. Um, we implement uh, softball, tennis ball, baseball of our four throwing progression uh, movements. And we do those six throws each. So three days a week, kids are getting 72 throws into a net, high intent. Um, you know, you should be sweaty when you're done. You should be 10 to 12 minutes. Um, the incentive is when we're done throwing, you get a hit. So, uh, you know, the, more, the sooner you get your 72 throws in with the softball, tennis ball, baseball, overload, underload program, um, you know, the more time you get swings. So, and this all, this go on for eight weeks, uh, building velocity. We also use the plyos, the recovery plyos, um, for driveline. We use the J bands. Um, and after about five weeks is when we will start pull downs to see what our what our velocity is and where we can go from week five through eight. At the end of week eight, um, we do have about two weeks for bullpens before we start our, our official practice time in, uh, in mid-February. I am curious, as you, you said, you're a high school baseball coach. I'm sure a lot of your guys play baseball in the summer with different organizations, with different coaches. What are, I'm sure there's complications that come with that, but do you think that's a plus or a minus that your guys are playing so much baseball in today? Not just your guys, but just baseball, period. You know, a lot of guys, you have the older generation that's saying some guys are playing too much. You have some guys who are saying kids aren't playing enough baseball. They need to throw more. What are your thoughts on how much baseball kids play these days? Here in Northwest Ohio, we're really fortunate to, what, to have what's called Acme Baseball, and it's basically a continuation of your spring season. So, um, you know, kids that are, you know, don't have the money to go play travel or don't have the ability can play on our high school team in the summer. Um, those that do have the ability to go play for, you know, in our, in our area, Bo Jackson Elite or the Lima Locos or different organizations like that, um, we tell them to go. You're going to get great exposure first off. You're going to face better pitching. Um, you're going to, you're just going to have great opportunities. So go do those things. And with that, it gives our younger guys in-house a chance to step up and, and see, um, you know, what do we need to fill for, for next spring? You know, the, the seniors that just graduated from that spring, um, cannot play in Acme baseball. So it's basically your underclassmen coming up and, um, it's kind of an evaluation process for us really to, to see, Hey, okay, this guy played JV shortstop last year. Our varsity shortstop is, uh, you know, playing travel baseball. Let's see what this kid can do. You know, maybe we can shuffle him around to second base. Maybe he's got ability to be a designated hitter for us next year in the springtime. So um, I, I encourage kids to go play ball in the summer. It's fun. Go play ball. No pressure. You're not having your two-hour practices. You're, you're going and, and playing the game that you love to play. Kind of along those lines, do you think being a multi-sport athlete is important? You can look at some kids – you can look at some pro athletes like Aaron Judge, Patrick Mahomes, who played multiple sports growing up, um, clearly dominated at all of those sports. Um, but you can also look at people that come from the Dominican Republic, and for primarily they focus on playing one sport year-round, and they work on it every day, 365, 24-7. Do you think being a multi-sport athlete is important for you, a player's success? I do, especially where we live. Um, you know, being a small school, we we need two and three sport athletes. We need them to compete for our schools, 
for our teams. We want all 11 of our varsity sports here at Lincoln View to be the best that they can. Um, you know, our better athletes uh, play basketball in the winter, and that's great. You know, they're getting different movements. They're getting coached by other people. Um, you know, they're just they're working on different skill sets. So, um, yeah, I encourage multi-sport athletes, especially in our area of Ohio and in our school system and in our community. Uh, we got kids that run cross country in the in the fall, which is great for them. We got kids that um, you know play soccer in the fall. We got kids that you know wrestle and play basketball in the winter time, and um, yeah, and, and it's great. And the kids that don't do anything, you know, they're with us in the off season. They're getting better and they're working. Um, but I would say, if you're interested in multi sport, you're going to keep the competitive edge through the fall and winter seasons uh, instead of you know getting your more of your reps, if you will. So yeah, I definitely encourage multi sport athletes here at Lincoln View. So let's say I go to one of your practices. What are some of the things you guys are going to be doing? Maybe some of the competitions you're going to be partaking in. Um, something fun you may do at practice. You know, what are some of the everyday drills you guys like to do? Take me to your practice. What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I going to be able to take away from how you guys do things in your program? That's a great question. Uh, we get started about mid-February in Ohio. Um, we probably won't be outside until second week of March. You know, our first pre- our first scrimmage is probably the third week of March. And, uh, you know, towards the, you know, the back half of the third week of March, we're playing games. So we don't have a lot of time, to be honest. Um, if we're inside, um, offensively, um, I hate groups of three, station work groups of three. I think three is a crowd. So if we have 30 guys, I'm going to create 15 different offensive stations, whatever that may, might be. Might be cage work, might be T work, it might be, um, you know, wiffle balls and sticks. It might be uh, using the bazoo ball and doing different um different receiving drills. Uh, we just have, we have a ton of different options. We have cradle bat weights that are coming out. Uh, we have, you know, we use the pocket radar a ton. So different measurable competitions, I will. And within that, you know, groups of two, you're competing against your partner. And, you know, hey, if I beat you next to you got five push-ups. They make little wagers like that all the time per station. Um, you know, if we're outside, we're going we're gonna to definitely hit on field as much as we can, getting those reps. Uh, we do have two fields and so if our junior high team is not practicing in that time we may split up into varsity and jv that way kids get more reps you know varsity varsity kids typically get you know more of the swings when we're outside uh so if we have that second field available we definitely want our jvs to go over with our jv staff and and get their reps in as well but i think our our most uh liked competitive game that we do is in the cages um we have what the tap targets we have one in the in the back left corner and one in the back right corner. And also in the back of our cages, we have ice bags that are tied to, there's one ice bag per cage, and they're tied to the to the netting. And we'll have uh, two teams, you know, however many it will, let's say it's 10 v 10, and they're hitting off a tee trying to hit the target, okay? If they hit the target, you know, we have a, a, a workout. It might be one lap around our indoor facility followed by 10 push-ups. It might be bear crawl to the sidewall and back, 10 push-ups. Um, if they happen to hit the bullseye in the middle of the tap target, they would skip half of that. So if it was the one lap, 10 pushups, they would skip the one lap, go straight to the 10 pushups. Then their next person on the team goes. And if someone hits the ice bag, it freezes their opponent, the other cage, uh, into a plank for 60 seconds while they still get a swing. Uh, first team done wins, losers pick up cage, have, you know, 50 burpees or whatever it might be. 
Um, so that's something that the kids really like, really competitive. It has built-in workouts disguised that they don't even know they're doing, and uh, they're just really competing against their other cage. What are some of the ways, Coach, that you guys promote your culture and your baseball program in the community? I would say it started with our brand. Lincoln View has always been a basketball school, and we have we have rich ba- basketball tradition here. Um, we do not have high school football, so you know basketball is kind of where all of our our community gathers. You know, we have like six hundred and fifty reserved seats, and every year we sell over six hundred of them. Uh, so it, it was uh, a basketball school when I got here, and it still is. We, our basketball is very great, and, and we support it very well. But I think getting our brand out there, we, we created a new logo um, that was specifically for the baseball team. You know, we put it on T-shirts. We got it out to all the kids. You know, being an elementary PE teacher the past seven years, we uh, tried to do a thing called T-Shirt Tuesday, where you wear your baseball shirt to school. You come into the gym. You see me for a quick picture. I put it out on Twitter, social media, Instagram, all that stuff for people to see and, and promote our brand and our culture. Um, within our community, our community support is awesome. We get our following. You know, I said we played in the state championship game last year. Our following, you know, three hours away to Akron was we had the best we had the best crowd out of any of the teams there, and, and that includes a team that was from five minutes away from Akron. So our following, our community support uh, has been huge. It's great, and um, yeah, I just think getting our brand out there physically for people to see it, and uh, also we have a hashtag that we use in just about everything that's. Kind of caught, which is hashtag the Lancers are coming. Just uh, we always put that on all of our tweets. We put it on some of our gear. Um, the the local announcers that call some of our games, they use it when, in their calls, their play by play calls. And I just think those things, um, when people hear or see those things, they they really think about Lincoln View baseball. Those are a lot of good ideas, Coach. I'm sure there's a lot of coaches listening to this who are going to take that away from uh, this podcast episode. Some really good ideas. So my next question is something I've been pondering for the past few weeks, and it's what do you think that's something that you spend a lot of time on at practice or more time at practice that maybe um, if you were to see a percent of a, a chart of the times of you spend on things at practice, for instance, like during the season you spent 30% of your time uh, hitting BP, you spent 10% of your time uh, you know, doing stuff with your infielders and outfielders. What do you think is something you guys spend a lot of time on that maybe isn't helping you out or you're not using enough in games? I would, that's a great question, by the way, to get coaches thinking. But I would say we spend most of our time on catch play, you know, whether that's warming up catch play with a purpose, whether that's, um, you know, ground balls. We, we do a two-way infield, three-way outfield drill where it's a lot of catch play. You know, if you can't catch it and you can't throw it, we're going to have a hard time winning baseball games. And uh, someone once told me, you know, the team that throws it the least amount of times across the diamond in the game will win the game. Um, so we work on catch play, work on different uh, movements. You know, our middle infielders, we do different um, footwork when it comes across, you know, coming across the bag at second place, second base and doing double play drills. And um, yeah, I, I would say this might be a cliche answer, but I would say, I would say uh, catch play is what you would see the most. So it's being up in Ohio, and as you said, it's going to be a little bit when the season starts to when you guys get to go outside. So how are you guys doing inside practice? Because even in Missouri, it's tough to keep kids, you know, when you have 10 straight days of rain and you just can't get outside because of the weather, it's hard to keep the kids' attention and, you know, their energy high and then mentally still focused when they're stuck inside, and it's it's tough. It really is tough. What are some of the ways you help keep those kids' attention and their focus at bay when you're stuck inside for two, three, four weeks? 
We have a, a really nice indoor facility uh, for our community. It's about 33,000 square feet uh, called our community center. Um, it's a rubber floor service, surface, and we have three batting cages in there. Um, so when it comes time to practice, you know, if we can't be outside ultimately, which is our goal, um, that's a great backup. You know, we don't get the traditional bounce off grass and dirt, uh, but we're also not complaining about having, you know, that large of a space. We're going to use it. We're going to do different things. We can do full infield work there. We can have guys in the cages while we're doing full infield work. Um, we have a good relationship with our softball program, so we really balance time well and, um, and spacing well. Um, so we take advantage of those things. And also, you know, we do things inside that maybe we can't do outside when, you know, when it's 30 mile an hour winds outside here in rural Northwest Ohio, you know, we'll do some things inside where the wind isn't going to affect it. You know, catcher throwdowns, the second base, the third base, you know, different pop times working on that. Um, but ultimately, like you said, how do you, how do you keep the kids, you know, focused for that long of a time? And I think it's keeping them competitive, different competitive games, uh, we do a thing called Catcher Olympics. We'll take our four or five catchers, and uh, we'll have a different, you know, obstacle course for them that uh, has different, you know, three or four different segments, and it's timed, and it's super competitive, and they want to win, and sometimes there's prizes, sometimes there's not. It's, uh, so we, we just keep it competitive and uh, in everything that we do when we're inside. Coach, how have you evolved as a coach throughout your coaching career? How have you changed from when you started to where you are now? I would say more open-minded and willing to learn. You know, when I was when I was 19 and, and started coaching just Acme, which was, you know, summer baseball games, um, you know, that was cool. That was more of a, a managerial type deal. I, you know, filled out the lineup card. I hit pregame and, uh, you know, watched the game, made substitutions when I did, and um, that was kind of my main uh, introduction to coaching, uh, but then when I got into being, you know, a freshman coach in the spring or, or where I'm at now, you know, there's so much more to it. You know, there's there's practice planning, which I absolutely love. I spend a lot of time practice planning, uh, putting different things together. I like you. I like to listen to podcasts. I like to hear different coaches' ideas. Um, you know, there over COVID, where we did not play in 2020, I, I, we were all all over the Zoom with different coaches around the country and. And as some, you know, in our backyard, you know, Coach Halleck at BGSU and Coach Beals at Ohio State and, and different coaches just listening to what they do and what, you know, what they find successful. And um, it might not all work for you. It has to work for your demographic of kids and, and your community and your location and your surroundings. So um, being open-minded to everything and then, you know, taking those um, things that you think might work and try them. Try them in practice. Try them in games. Um, you know, try different, you know, things with your lineup in games, um, you know, switch, switch, uh, the tra traditional, um, you know, infield outfield before games, tr switch it up to different things. And, uh, I would say that would be the, the main thing that I've grown, uh, from, you know, age 19 to, to, to now is just being more open-minded and, and willing to learn and listen to others. Now, coach, you have, you have a pretty successful resume and I'm curious your thoughts on this. Why do you think some coaches have more success in the postseason than other coaches? Is that something to do with the practice? Is that something to do with the foundation they lay for their program um, in the beginning of the season? Do you think it's just because of talent? What are your thoughts on why some coaches seem to have a better uh, success rate in the postseason than other coaches? I think some of that has to do with your team makeup, your team chemistry, um, you know, when we get into tournament here in Ohio, 
we're pretty close to graduation time. Uh, so how our seniors' mindsets are during that. Um, I think also you you got you to gotta get lucky sometimes. Uh, you got to catch a break here or there in a, in a district game or uh, in a district final game. Um, another, another point I would say is your strength of schedule in the, in the regular season. Are you, are you looking to go 27 and 0 or are you looking to go, you know, 20 and seven with a a very tough schedule facing tough competition, facing tough pitchers, uh, you know, with your, those being non-conference games, you know, you can't, can't control your your conference games. Those are set in stone, but what are you going to do with your other 19 or 20 games that you schedule? Are they going to be uh, you know, fifteen to zero run rules, or are you going to catch some losses here and there to be more prepared for the tournament? So, I think all those things factor into tournament su- success. But um, yeah, you got to be playing your best baseball at the right time, and, and sometimes you got to catch a couple breaks here and there. Coach, what's the hardest part for coaching about coaching for you? What's the hardest thing you struggle with with the aspect of coaching? I would say. The time we get with kids, um, you know, here in Northwest Ohio or in Ohio for general, we can start mid-February, about February 20th, February 21st. Uh, like I said, most of our guys here play basketball. Um, you know, if they make a, a tournament run, we might not see them until, you know, our first game, our first scrimmage. You know, if if they happen to, to get knocked out in the second round, we might see them March 1st or, or March 7th. And, you know, we're, we're playing in scrimmages about March 15th, so... Um, here in Ohio, we, you know, we play 27 games in about 42 days when you take out the Sundays, you know, we don't play or practice on Sundays. So, um, that's not a lot of time to, to work with our kids individually. Um, so I, I really enjoy being, uh, the high school phys ed teacher now here so I can connect with my kids off the field, um, you know, in class and I get to see them in the hallways now. So I think that's something that's going to be huge for our program is just seeing our kids more because, you know, I might not see our basketball players from, you know, March, might not see them until March 7th and then, hey, we're, we're playing games every day and, um, you know, getting to know them or, or getting to work on certain, you know, different aspects of the game. We just, we just don't have too much time here with them and it goes, it goes super fast in six weeks in, in the spring. What is something new that you're going to use this year in your program during your season? Something you didn't do last year? But this year you're going to try it that you haven't done before. Maybe it's a drill. Maybe it's a team-building activity. Maybe it's a way you construct a lineup. Maybe it's how you do your practices. What's something new this year for you? Something new is going to be more classroom time. Um, you know, we have a lot of video compiled from our uh, postseason run last year, and there's a lot of things as I watch those games um, that I want our our kids to see, whether it be body language after a strikeout, whether it be backing up certain locations, uh, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, scoring a run and getting the bat out of the way and then, you know, instructing the, the next runner coming into home uh, up or down. Um, just them seeing that physically, I think, will hit home what, rather than me, you know, verbally telling them or someone on my coaching staff verbally telling them these things. So I think we're going to spend a little more time in the classroom uh, reviewing video, uh, reviewing different things, especially when we're inside, you know, when we're inside with the weather. Um, and like you said, maybe practices are getting a little, you know, a little stiffy and we need something new to keep the engagement there. I think we're going to spend a little more time in the classroom and on the video board. Now I'm a coach who would preach to any coach listening, start in the classroom first, watch a video, 
talk about something, read them an article about something you read, read them a passage of a book, get them something um, to build upon. But I like how you said you used the classroom more, meaning you had been using it prior. What were some of the things you guys talked about, watched, did in the classroom prior to practice or after practice, whenever you would do it, um, to, to help your program in the ways that you wanted to help it? You know, I wish we would have done more of it. Um, but some things we did do is sometimes we'd watch an MLB game on the MLB network, uh, you know, a three o'clock game, three o five game, and we would have food or have have snack, and uh, we'd give all the guys, you know, a, a score a score book, you know, hey, you're going to keep score, you know, for this game and watch this five inning, you know, five innings of a nine inning MLB game, and to just watch and see what they do and see how they take their reps and watch the guy on deck and watch different scenarios, watch their leads, you know, how are they their jumps and how. How does that compare to yours? And get a different perspective. So, um, it's something that I want to do more moving forward in the uh, into the future. Is get more classroom time, like you like you mentioned as well, Joel. So, coach, one of the things I like to ask coaches is, let's say I have the opportunity to bring you to the ABCA convention coming up uh, in Chicago, and I had gave you the opportunity to present something. What would you want to present on? And then could you give us a little snippet of what you think that presentation would sound like? That's a great question, and I cannot wait. I'm counting down the days until we leave for Chicago at ABCA Clinic. Um, if I had to perform um, something at ABCA, I think it would be, I think it would be um, you know, competitive practice plan ideas and just showing them, you know, all the things that we do that are competitive, like I mentioned earlier, the tap target drills in the cages. Um, you know, I, I hit it on it a little bit, but our, our catcher Olympics where, you know, there's a, for instance, we have a catcher, he'll be up in it or down in his stance. He'll have to go down and um, he'll be, he'll be uh, facing a, um, a box and he'll have to go down and do blocks on all four sides. Then, you know, run across the gym and, um, a coach will throw a tennis ball off a wall where they have to go down and block it. Then they have to run over to the home plate where the machine will throw you a pitch and you got to receive it. And then you, know, you stop the clock and then the other four catchers go and, and we see who has the best time. And, uh, you know, different creative competitive practice planes is probably something that I would do at ABCA with, with those two. And then there's, you know, there's several others that we do when we're in and outside of, of practice. And I'll wrap up the podcast right here with this question. It's one I usually end the podcast on. And it's, let's say you get this beautiful, brand new clubhouse facility and you get everything you want. But the one stipulation put in effect is, you know, what is, you're only allowed to hang up one sign in the entire clubhouse. And on that sign is a quote that you want your players to see every single day, whether it's when they're going to practice, coming back from practice, leaving the facility, walking into the facility. What would that that signs quote read for your players to read every day. It's a great question. And, and I'm going to steal this one from coach Hell and coach Weaver at defiance, but uh, nobody is bigger than the program. And that simply means, um, you know, we don't care if you're a division one pitcher, that's going to go play in the MLB or if you're a kid that, you know, can barely run to first base. You know, no one is bigger than the program. We're all here um, for the program, and uh, we're all here for each other. Uh, players, coaches, managers, statisticians, everybody's here for one goal, and uh, and nobody is bigger than the program would be our sign.